Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, boy. Those folding phones that sent me over the edge. Folding phones sent me over the beveled edge. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren Good, a senior writer at Wired, and you're listening to Gadget Lab. I'm here, as always, with Wired senior editor Michael Kalori. Aloha. Aloha. And joining us from our studio in New York this week is Wired staff writer Luis Matsakis. Hi, Luis. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So today on the show, we're going to be talking about old products making a comeback in new forms. These are the ghosts of products past, whether those are popular social media apps that just won't die, or our favorite phones from the early 2000s come back to life. And we're going to talk about why these products keep resurfacing, what it means to have a product iterate in new forms, um, and whether or not something that's that old can ever really truly be new again. So later on in the show, our Wired colleague Julian Chukatu is going to join us. But first, this week, a new media service launched. And I say new with like air quotes because it's not really new. It's called Byte with a Y, B-Y-T-E. This is the rebirth of Vine, which was the six second video service that was hugely popular and then shut down in 2016. Luis, you wrote a story about Byte for Wired.com. So tell us first what it is. Uh, so this is the reincarnation of Vine, like you said. So Dom Hoffman, who was one of the co-founders of Vine for the last couple of years, kind of on and off, has been trying to relaunch the service in some form or another. So you might remember that in 2018, it was called V2. Uh, and then that project was put on indefinite hold. So now we have Byte, which is kind of like, you know, a shorter TikTok, uh, Instagram stories kind of vibe. Uh, and a lot of like former Vine people are flocking to it and it's super nostalgic and it's it's still the six second loop that was, you know, super 
super popular back then. So, Louise, what sorts of things are on there? Is it all like the old Vine stuff where it's crazy comedy and people doing little mini skits? Or is it closer to the sorts of things that you see on TikTok these days? So I'm a huge TikTok addict. And honestly, Bite feels really short because a lot of the stuff I watch on TikTok, like makeup tutorials or funny dances, you just can't really fit in six seconds. So it's kind of interesting because I think that at the time, that six second loop was really perfect. And you could share those on Twitter. Like they got a lot of clout on Instagram. Uh, whereas now, like you can't really do that kind of like longer format informational stuff on Bite. So it's, yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's like really sketch comedy. Like, you know, uh, someone photoshopped Kanye West uh, FaceTiming with a hamster. There's like, you know, a girl like crashing her Target shopping cart that she's riding in into a bush, like just really classic, super comedy stuff. I also noticed that it's pretty like male centric. And it seems to be a lot of people who are like older than Gen Z, which is not exactly surprising because a lot of the teens on uh, TikTok probably don't remember Vine. So it's a lot of people coming over who, you know, remember Vine. It's a super nostalgic service. Uh, And whether or not it'll actually be able to succeed is kind of uh, still up in the air. I think it's pretty unlikely, but it is kind of fun to have this relic of the old internet back. That does make me feel old to think that teens weren't, are not old enough to remember what Vine was. <laughs> <laughs> are they like, what's Twitter too? Probably. If you're like Twitter bought Vine, they're probably like, what's I that? think Twitter still has so much like cultural relevance. Like, you know, the president is tweeting. Like, I think that even if you're not on Twitter, you're like hyper aware of it. But Vine was this always was this like really, even though they had 200 million users or so, it was still kind of this like really weird space that like, if you weren't like super online that you probably weren't aware of, I think it's really akin to Tumblr in a lot of ways. So it has that really nostalgic vibe. It's where a lot of really big internet celebrities were born. Uh, and I think it's part of the reason that Dom and some of these other people are still invested in it uh, because it it had so much clout at the time. Wow, Tumblr. Now we're really throwing back here. Okay, (laughs) Louise, what I'm curious about is how the social media environment is different from 2016 when Vine last existed or even 2018 when Dom and his team launched this experimental app. Um, Like I know when I go to check apps on my phone now, I feel generally pretty overloaded by the number of apps that are on my phone and for me at least things like TikTok and Byte as much as I find them enjoyable so far like they're not high priority for me and I think that's largely because of the network effect uh, like a lot of my friends and family are on something like Instagram so I'm more inclined to go there for the connection the dopamine hit whatever you want to call it and I, I think like for what people are saying the network effect is still pretty important in social media in general then something like Byte though it doesn't seem like it's super easy to find people you know. Also, it doesn't show you follower counts. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, the climate of social media right now, how much of a chance Byte has to stand out, to be successful, and how they're kind of approaching things differently. I think the network effect is still really important for a lot of social media apps, but I actually think that TikTok is more akin to something like Netflix. Like, it's something that people sit and watch for hours, and a lot of people's bios actually say, like, if you know me from school, like, don't follow me on here. Like, people aren't on that platform to talk with and meet people they already know in real life. Uh, And I think that that's sort of the same environment that Byte is going for. But because the videos are so short, it's tough to have that same level of engagement. Uh, I also think that... uh, 
I don't know how to put this, but I, I just think that like that kind of weird humor is thriving on other platforms better right now. And it's just too hard to encapsulate enough in six seconds. Like the big problem with Vine is that people felt constrained by that format in the end. Like they ended up leaving for YouTube or Instagram where they could make more money, get brand sponsorships, and also just make, you know, bigger and more ambitious content that didn't have to be constrained in that tiny format. You know, in in the time since Vine has left, you know, Twitter has made the character count larger, right? Like all of these platforms, like, yeah, we want you to make bigger. We want you to do more stuff. And Vine is like, no, we want to keep this really strict, small format. And I just don't know if that really works anymore, especially where people have more data. It's more easy to like copy and paste TikToks and longer YouTube videos. I, I think it's just going to be really hard. But at the same time, you know, what I talk about in the piece is that, hey, vinyl records came back, right? Like there's definitely a big market for nostalgia and whether or not Byte can capitalize on that is kind of, what I think will really make or break them, even if it's just kind of always as a bespoke service and not a real competitor to TikTok or Instagram. I think the the thing that you mentioned that's really interesting to me is that people are reposting TikToks, they're copying and pasting TikToks onto Byte. And I know like the Byte community, if they're, if you can actually call it that, there is a small community there. They're very sort of against that and people rip on each other when they start posting uh, TikToks to their account. Um, the other thing that I've noticed, I downloaded the app and I've been playing with it for a few days, and I've had a really hard time finding things that are interesting. I think the discovery still has a long way to go. Um, for example, like the things that I loved about Vine, the things that I always look for whenever I first go into any new like video-based social network is, first of all, weird art, music, and like skateboarding videos, because I think those are things that work really well in the short format. And I had a really hard time finding those things on Byte. And even after like, I sort of told the app that that's what I wanted by following those people and liking their videos, it still wouldn't show me anymore. Um, the other thing that I noticed is that there are crazy numbers of bots on Byte. Um, I made a Byte and I posted it and I got three likes before the six seconds were up. So like, I posted it and then within five or six seconds, I got three accounts liking the, my post. And it was obvious like they hadn't even really watched it all the way to the end. It was a mechanical like, if anything. Um, I don't know. I think the the bots are also a problem that you see people talking about. There's a lot of videos about we need to get rid of the bots on Byte. <laughs> so you're in this weird loop where the community is sort of talking to the creators of the social network, telling them what they need to do better. They need to do better about helping you find things they need to do better about eradicating bots. Yeah, there was a huge spam problem kind of within the first 36 hours after Byte launched. The team is really small. Last year, they only had six people. It's unclear like how many more people they really have than that right now. So yeah, those sorts of things are definitely going to be an issue. I also wrote in the article about the discovery problem. I think that what's really made TikTok so successful is their super powerful algorithm, right? Like you can just sit there and it will feed you entertaining content for hours. Of course, part of the problem with Byte right now, like you said, Mike, is the fact that like, you know, there's only a million or so people who have downloaded it. I think it's 1.3 million right now. So of course, there's not going to be that much skateboarding content that you can watch or art content. However, I, I do think that there's a real issue with like they haven't leaned in so much into that algorithmic timeline. So you can't just like open the app and find a bunch of new stuff. You have to kind of work for it. And I think historically, that model doesn't really work very well if you're not going to also find your friends on it, right? Right. Well, it sounds like some of the things we're seeing with Byte are definitely not new. Six second video clips bots, spam, <laughs> algorithmically served content, but maybe the content itself will find a way to differentiate and we'll see. 
and I'm sure Luis will be tracking it. Luis, thank you so much for joining us on this week's Gadget Lab. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about a real throwback, the Motorola Razor phone, except it's a new Razor and you're about to hear why. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hackers and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and lift off. Click here every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're joined by Wired Senior Associate Editor Julian Chakatu, who's dialing in from New York. Hey, Julian. Hey. Julian reviews a lot of phones for us at Wired.com, so this conversation really um, hinges on him. <laughs> Is that a joke? <laughs> Mike's raising his eyebrows at me. <laughs> it's a joke. All right. If you haven't figured it out, yes, I am talking about folding phones. They're coming, whether you like them or not, whether you can afford them or not. And today we're talking about the Motorola Razor, which was that really popular flip phone in the early 2000s. And it's getting a reboot because now when you flip it open, it's all just one display. It's a flexible polymer display, not unlike the Samsung Galaxy Fold. Uh, Julian has been tracking this. We're going to continue to track it. Julian, what do you make of the comeback of the Motorola Razr? So this is one of the more interesting ones. So far, we've seen the Samsung Galaxy Fold, which sort of is a big phone, a chunky phone too. And it expands into sort of like a bigger screen size. This one is, you know, a small phone and you open it up and it becomes sort of like a normal 6.2 inch screen, a normal sized phone. So I think this one might actually be a little more popular with certain types of people who think, you know, phones are getting too big, which I always hear, but apparently the evidence seems to suggest that people still like buying the bigger phones. I don't get it, but maybe this is going to be the, the the phone to get for the people that always complain about how phones are getting too big and they want something smaller. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think this kind of tech is going to be very much a part of our future in, in that I don't necessarily think that folding phones are gimmicky or, or companies are sort of just like running out of ideas necessarily, that they're trying to, you know, evolve the smartphone into this something like something like this. But I do think that this is just sort of a natural evolution because they've been talking about folding tech for a long time. And I think inherently in phone design, we've always had different types of form factors, especially when you go back, you know, pre-smartphone days, you've had sliding out phones and flip phones and all these kinds of other types of forms that now 
we're getting to a point where the traditional smartphone is so mature that we can experiment with something that is different in terms of how it looks and how it feels and how you sort of use it. So I think this is kind of a fun, creative phase that we're kind of entering. But um, obviously, it's still going to take some time because the whole process is still very finicky, you know, with all those Samsung Galaxy folds breaking. The tech just really has to mature. So Julian, am I hearing correctly, you don't think this is a gimmick? I think at the moment, maybe there's some gimmicky features on some of these phones. And I I think we will see gimmicky versions of these phones. But I think folding technology inherently is not necessarily going to be sort of a, a tech that you know, fades out pretty soon. I think it's going to be something that it will apply to all sorts of techs because we've already seen that happening, especially with things like Lenovo's uh, folding computer. So I think it'll sort of engross all types of technology. And yeah, at the moment, it might be a gimmicky, but uh, I I don't think the tech in general will will be. I agree with you, by the way, that the whole idea of having a a 6.2 inch you know, normal size screen and then folding that into something smaller so that it fits into your pocket is really the way to go after using the Samsung Galaxy Fold for about a month. Because as some of you might know, there were some issues with the early units of Galaxy Fold and Samsung like really wanted to get them out of our hands as quickly as possible. (laughs) So we couldn't like have them forever and then eventually see them break. Um, But I did use it for a brief period of time. And one of the things I found with it was that um, when it's closed, you know, it's not easy to text message on or just use really any app on because that front screen, the cover screen is so tiny. And then when it's unfolded, because it's about a seven inch tablet, it's awkward to hold in one hand and get stuff done on two. So when it's sort of unfurled itself, I mean, sure, it's great, I guess, for watching video. um, But even just basic things like texting and making a phone call seemed unnecessarily complicated with that size. And I think at this point, we're all pretty accustomed to having something that's about six inches as the like the primary slab in our pockets, our bags, right? So um, having that exist but then close into something smaller seems infinitely more convenient. Yeah. And Lauren, I think what you're getting at with the whole movement is that this is something that is not for everybody. Like there are a lot of people who, like me, are going to look at these devices and say, no, thank you, because it's too bulky or it's too weird or, you know, you can't fit it into your pocket the way that you can fit an iPhone into your pocket. And I think that that's fine. Um, You know, there are always people who are going to want sort of the cutting edge, uh, the bleeding edge, if you will, um, device. And right now those devices are all these ones with flexible screens. Um, I think probably the reason this is happening on Moss is because of economics. Like, I think that companies, you know, Samsung in particular, Apple, have pushed the cost of a premium regular smartphone about as high as you can go, which is about eleven, twelve hundred dollars $1,200. And you can't really push it beyond that. So if you want to make a whole lot more money on a device, you have to do something really wacky and zany. At the same time, there are um, a lot more phones that are perfectly great phones that are around $500, $600, like um, the A-series Pixel, the A-series Galaxy phone from Samsung, uh, the G-series from Motorola. Those are all great phones that we really like that are like half the cost of a premium um, flagship model smartphone. So as more people come online and as more people need a smartphone, they're going to buy the cheaper one. And so you need to have something at the high end of the market to sort of fill in the dollar gap. 
Uh, now, I mean, obviously they're selling 10x or maybe 100x more of those cheap phones than they are selling of these crazy wacky phones. But these crazy wacky phones are always going to be crazy wacky. Like right now, it's flexible screens. In two or three years, it's going to be some other weird brand new technology that we haven't seen before that everybody who is into that stuff is going to want. So it's a bizarre time right now because these phones are not great and they're not for everybody, but there is like the 1% of smartphone buyers who are just like dying to get them. Right. And part of the reason why they're not great yet either has to do with the software, of course. And I mean, that's going to be the case with the, it is the case with the Galaxy Fold. It's the going to be the case with the Lenovo folding laptop, the X1 ThinkPad fold. Um, It could potentially be the case for really any of these devices that are, you know, like the Microsoft dual screen devices that we saw last year. They're going to, you know, stretch in terms of their form factors. But really what people want to do on these devices is just like get stuff done and use the software and the apps that they want to use that are ingrained into their everyday. And if you don't have an optimal experience with the software because you're folding between sizes and the app doesn't you know, expand or move or do the thing you just want it to do in the way that you're used to, I think that that could be a barrier to these things just being really useful. And I should note too, that there are still some material limitations around this. The ones that we've seen so far, the implementations of folding screens are using polymer displays. These are just layers of polymer with some type of reinforcement underneath to try to keep the thing durable. But Brian Barrett has written for us on wire.com and you should all go to wire.com and read the story that you should wait for glass. Because as he wrote, plastic is much less hard than glass. It makes it easier to scratch and ding. The plastic is going to crease over time. And he also wrote that Corning is said to be working on an ultra thin folding glass, which is still not ready yet. But you can picture a world in which we have devices that fold, but they actually have the durability and quality of the the premium phones we've already gotten used to. Um, Julian, which one are you most excited about getting? Which folding device? Either the ones that have already been announced or the ones that have been leaked? (laughs) Uh, That's a good question. Um, I think for me, I would go for something like the Motorola Razr or the newly leaked Galaxy Z Flip, if that's what it's going to be called. Um, Because for me, I think I would like something smaller that I can fit into my pocket and then expand to get a bigger screen. But I would also then love a laptop that, you know, kind of like the the Lenovo folding laptop that I can sort of expand out and still also close and carry around with my hand like a notebook. Because right now I'm carrying the 16-inch MacBook Pro and... As much as I like it, it is definitely way too big and wearing down on me a lot lately. So I, I, I think having something where I could just fold up into like the size of a little notebook and maybe expand out when I get want to get some work done, that's sort of my ideal scenario that I can have a dual folding setup. Maybe, maybe that might be Microsoft's uh, upcoming Surface Duo and Surface Neo combo. Who knows? Julian, do you think that the Razor's branding is going to win at any points with a crowd of people who just have an affection towards the Razor because of their experience with the old phone? Yeah, I think there's always going to be that group of people that just buy things because it reminds them of, you know, the past and nostalgia tech, you know. Uh, I think that is going to do a lot of favors for Motorola with this phone specifically. Um, So far, to be honest, I don't really like how it looks. I think it's a little ugly. and, And I think that's sort of a theme with most folding phones at the moment. They're all not really the prettiest. The the leaked Galaxy Z Flip, if that's what it ends up looking like, that 
actually looks pretty good, but um, I'll sort of wait to see what that looks like. But outside of that, I think, yeah, definitely for sure people are going to get the Razer because of it, that iconic brand name and because it sort of looks the way it does. Julian also mentioned this upcoming Samsung phone, the rumored Samsung phone. We should note that we'll be at that Samsung event on February 11th in San Francisco, and we'll have all kinds of coverage on Wired.com, so be sure to check back in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't think it's just going to be about folding phones, as rumored. I think that we're going to see some other flagship phones, too. There will but be a folding car. There will be, yeah, that's right, a folding, <laughs> probably folding TV set. You can just like pick it up and carry it like a briefcase. You know, go to like your Super Bowl party with it. It's going to be really cool. I guess Super Bowl will be over by then. Yeah, but it's a, a great idea. Later. Super Bowl 2021, okay? <laughs> but I do think that if they have a flip phone and they call it the flip, they should call it the flips. Do you know Samsung uses S in their naming convention? Oh, yeah, So they yeah. usually do like the S, ga- or Galaxy, I guess it would be like Galaxy S. Yeah. So they do the Flip S, then it's actually called the Flips. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. That's, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Julian, stick around because we want to hear your recommendation for the week. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to tell you what you should be watching, reading, eating, buying, everything you need to know and also we're going to have probably more terrible jokes or at least i will hey everybody it's neil i've got some huge news decoder is moving to mondays and thursdays we're adding a second episode of the show on mondays we'll have our classic interviews with ceos and other troublemakers i think we're gonna have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. Welcome back. Julian, give us your recommendation for the week. So I discovered a Netflix show that apparently hasn't been talked about too much. It's called Giri Haji. It's a Netflix thriller. It's about a Japanese cop searching for his brother in London. Uh, I haven't finished it, but so far, uh, I don't want to give too much away. But the premise is that his brother killed the nephew of a Yakuza boss, and he framed it as though the nephew was murdered by another Yakuza family. So to prevent Tokyo from being eclipsed in an all-out Yakuza war, the cop is trying to find his brother and bring him back back to Tokyo to face justice while also dealing with his own morality. How did you discover this one? I was just browsing Netflix because I was bored and I'm a fan of all things uh, Japan related. So caught my eye. Cool. And is this a series or a movie? This is a series. Ah, so you can binge watch it. Nice. That's a good one. Mike, what's yours? So I would like to recommend a gadget for your kitchen. And it's something that you should be particularly interested in if you cook a lot or if you do a lot of batch cooking. Uh, it's a food saver. It's a vacuum sealer. The The brand is Food Saver, and they make these vacuum sealers where you put food into a bag, and then you put the end of the bag into the contraption. You press a button. It sucks all the air out, and then it seals it so you have a 
you know, surprise, vacuum sealed, uh, whatever, um, a piece of steak, a couple pieces of chicken, a bunch of asparagus, and then you can keep it in the fridge or you can throw it into the freezer and it preserves it for longer than it would if you put it in like a Tupperware or just in a regular old Ziploc bag. Um, these are particularly good if you buy a big main ingredient, like let's say if you buy like a whole chicken, but you don't want to roast the whole chicken because you're not going to eat an entire chicken in a week. Maybe you just want like a leg and a thigh now and the rest for later. So you can like cut up the chicken and vacuum seal it and then throw it in the freezer until a week or four days or four weeks from now when you're ready to take it out and actually cook it. So I do this a lot. I do a lot of batch cooking. I also buy a lot of um, like I'll buy a lot of one thing. You know, I'll buy a lot of salmon and then vacuum seal most of the salmon and just eat it over the next month or two. Uh, it's really great. It cuts down on food waste. And it's also something that you can use for more than just food. Like I know people who vacuum seal their loose change. So they just have like a package full of pennies and they just, you know, carry that around. It's like $5 worth of pennies vacuum sealed, which is a sort of a waste of plastic. It is one thing to notice that the bags are plastic. So you are introducing more plastic into the ecosystem by using this. But I think the advantages of having... Uh, more food available to you without wasting it uh, outweigh the downsides of using more plastic. So the one that I would recommend, and if you go to the like look for a food saver, there's you know six or seven or eight models to choose from. The one that I would recommend is the Food Saver Space Saving Vacuum Sealer. That's what it's called. It's a hundred dollars. It uses eight inch bags, like bags that are eight inches across, so they're not the super big ones. They're a little bit smaller, uh, which is perfectly fine for most people. And also it's one of the cheaper devices at only a hundred bucks. So that's my recommendation. And it doesn't have an app. It's not internet connected. There's Correct. nothing smart about it. So it's not like you have to worry that in a few years you're going to lose support for your products. Correct. Right? It will it will make your kitchen smarter without connecting your kitchen to the internet. Isn't it funny how that happens? <laughs> Supposedly dumb products actually end up being incredibly smart <laughs> and not frustrating because they just do the thing. Oh, uh, that's that's what we strive for. All right. I like that, that recommendation. Okay, my recommendation this week is for you to go to Wired.com and check out Megan Multaney's coverage of uh, the coronavirus. Megan Multaney is one of our science and health writers, and she's a fantastic reporter and writer, and she has really been covering this quite closely. And, of course, it's a pretty serious issue right now. And... Um, we're updating it you know, as much as we possibly can. And I know there's just a lot of interest around that right now. So uh, go to wire.com, look for Megan Multaney and read everything that she has written so far, um, including about how an AI researcher actually had predicted the coronavirus before it really happened. Um, she also wrote the story about the first human to human transmission that we learned about this week, uh, the first case of a human to human transmission. Um, really, it's, it's, it's just an evolving story. So go check it out. That's my recommendation. Definitely great stuff. All right. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Julian, for joining us again. Thanks for having me. If our listeners have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth. Our consulting executive producer is Alex Kappelman. And we'll be back next week. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. 
The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.